Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. All right, it's a blessing to be able to share the Word with you this this evening, and we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, and if you're in the UK, it, it took me seven years to try to say it the way they say it, it's Isaiah, always. So we're in Isaiah, <laughs> chapter 55. This study is entitled, True Satisfaction of Life. You know, uh, we're living in days where it's hard to have that place of being satisfied for very long. I mean, you can anticipate a special occasion when you're going to go out to dinner, and then you set it all up, and you go out there in, in that restaurant, and, and you find out that... Um, even though you made the reservation, you have to wait outside because um, things are a little uh, jammed. And of course, we have to keep social distancing. And, you know, it's 97 degrees outside. So finally, you get in and you're all prepared for this special meal. And then they bring out your steak and not only is it overdone, but the green beans are hard. And your whole evening is becoming very much a sad time. You are looking for fulfillment. And instead, you've got to guard your Christian witness because you, you're getting angry. I'm not saying that I have had this experience, okay? I'm just putting it out there. But sometimes we so count on things to fill our life that we are going to the wrong things to try to, to find that satisfaction, that true satisfaction. And let me tell you, we're in days that are very political. And if you're hope and your satisfaction is based upon the political scene going the way you want it, I have some news for you. It's not going to satisfy you. I heard that, you know, the very word politics is a compound word. Poly meaning many and ticks meaning bloodsuckers. <laughs> your hope cannot be in politics. Your hope has to be in something much more stable, much more lasting and satisfying. And that's what our text is all about here tonight. The Lord is pleading with his people. This is not so much, you know, going out um, evangelizing the unsaved and the different nations. He's talking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And he wants them to come back to him because they're going every place except to the Lord for their ultimate satisfaction. 
And we can stand here and sit here and look at this and go, you know, shame on them. They should have known better. They had the law. I mean, what, what are they thinking? But what are we thinking? How often during the week do we find ourselves moving off and going after things that we think are going to satisfy us in a deep way and we end up empty? So this chapter is going to minister to us the Lord's call to us to come back to him because he wants to satisfy us in the depth of our soul. And so as we consider this, you know, we've gathered here not just to be a part of an event, but hopefully you have come here tonight and you have come in um, on your uh, iPad or your TV or the website or Grace FM. You've tuned in because you want to hear God speak to your heart. It can't just be information. There's got to be inspiration. The Holy Spirit has to really kind of take your face like a little kid and say, look at me. Understand this. This is my heart for you. We need to hear God tonight through his word. Because when he speaks, we go out of here and we go, I have to follow up on that. I need that. It's lasting. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this chapter and we're going to break it into four parts. The first part are the first three verses called the call. The second part is verse 3 to verse 5, and that's called the covenant. The third section is called the condition, verses 6 and 7. And the last section, verses 8 to 13, is called the compassion. So those are the four ways that I'm breaking this up. I mean, you can break it up how many ways you like, but um, just dig into it. Take it verse by verse and see what the Lord speaks to your heart. So let's start with a word of prayer, and let's see what God has for us tonight, all right? Our Father in heaven, we're looking to you tonight to minister to us things needful in our own lives. Although we are in the midst of a, a group of people, we can just seem so isolated and so alone. But you are here with us. And we desire for you to speak to our heart through your word tonight. Be gracious to us, Lord. Be faithful. And so, talk to us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the first three verses. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Now this first exclamation, ho, is actually in the Hebrew, it's hoi. But, you know, in the UK, instead of calling somebody's name and going hey, they say oi, oi, oi. 
You see it in some of your, uh, you know, British films. But it's, a, it's an exclamation to get your attention because Israel is kind of in a stupor. They're used to doing things their way and their way is not satisfying their life. And so God, through Isaiah, is trying to get their attention. Hey! Which is basically what's, what the word is. And the call is, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. The call is to everyone, not just to the religious, not just to those who are down and out, but it's to the whole nation of Israel. But today we could receive that call to us. Everyone. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And we're going to find out that it's the Lord that supplies that kind of water. In this section, you see the condition as addressed as thirst, hunger, and poverty. Thirst, hunger, and poverty. But we find out that it's, it's more than just the physical things. It's a hunger and thirst and poverty in their soul. They're empty. They're hollow. No matter how much they're spending, they're left empty. No matter how much they're partaking of this and trying this and testing out this and trying to find the right soulmate and trying to, you know, get the right job, trying to find the right budget, all the rest of it, you're chasing things that aren't satisfying your soul. And that's the call here. God is saying, listen, you've got to move from where you are and come to me. The Lord comes to them with the message, but they have to move. They have to act on it in faith. They have to take the step saying, I have to trust that you are smarter than I am, God. So please, may this be true. Move from where you are and come to me where there are waters, plural. Jeremiah the prophet spoke to the people of God later on, and he said this in Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they just leak out, and no matter how much they try to fill, it, it ends up empty. Maybe that's what's a, a good definition of your life. You've been filling it and filling it, but it's, it's cracked. It leaks out. And no matter how hard you have tried to fill your life with those things, you still end up empty, and it's easy to blame other people or other circumstances as the cause. But maybe, just maybe, you have a cracked cistern. You need to come to the Lord. He is the fountain of living waters. Jesus said something similar in John chapter 4, verse 14. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, the real issue is his life from heaven 
filling your heart, which takes the pressure off of everybody else and, and all the rest of the circumstances. Instead of looking for your spouse to try to meet that deep need in your life, you're looking to the Lord, and then you can pour out. You're fine. The Lord is, is your portion, and you're able to pour out, not based upon their performance, but based upon the fact that, man, he's blessed me. I just want to pour out to you. Plural, living waters, denotes abundance and freshness. Polluted water cannot quench your thirst, but can actually kill you. Uh, For instance, the oceans are considered water, but it's salt water. And let me just tell you, remind you what happens when you drink salt water. And this is from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration website. It sounds so official, that has to be right, so let's just go with it, okay? (laughs) Seawater contains salt. (laughs) Oh, brilliant observation. When humans drink seawater, their cells are thus taking in water and salt. While humans can safely ingest small amounts of salt, The salt content in seawater is much higher than what can be processed by the human body. Additionally, when we consume salt as part of our daily diets, we also drink liquids, which help to dilute the salt and keep it at a healthy level. Living cells do depend on sodium chloride, salt, to maintain the body's chemical balances and reactions. However, too much sodium can be deadly. Human kidneys can only make urine that is less salty than salt water. Therefore, to get rid of all the excess salt taken in by drinking seawater, you have to urinate more water than you drank. Eventually, you die of dehydration even as you become thirstier. That's why you're supposed to close your mouth when you go surfing, okay? God's people are being addressed in these first verses of Isaiah 55. They're dying of thirst and they're broke because they've been spending money on all these other things that didn't satisfy and so they're 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 broke, they're in poverty. And so God is calling them saying, listen, I know you're thirsty, I know your poverty, I know your hunger, but come to me and I'll provide three things for you. And that's what the text tells us. Water, wine, and milk. And as you look in the scriptures, you see metaphorically, this is what we find. Water represents true life. Wine represents joy and gladness. And milk represents growth and satisfaction. These are things that every human being wants but they chase everything instead of going to the Lord to be filled. Those, that, that true life, that joy and gladness, that growth and satisfaction can only be obtained by coming to God who's the source of true life, true joy, and true satisfaction. But you know, Jesus said something similar to this in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea. 
And here's what he said as recorded in Revelation 3, verses 15 to 19. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. And that is a representation of our faith being tested and tried as more precious than gold. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And white garments um, in the context of Scripture referred to the righteousness of the Lord being put upon you rather than living in self-righteousness. And buy ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see because they had deceived themselves with a lie instead of the truth. So Jesus says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. If Jesus didn't love us, he wouldn't have bothered to pursue us. Even when we get into kind of a, a weird place in our life where we're just ambivalent and just indifferent and we've, we've tried to fill ourselves with so many things, and we've missed true life. I don't care what your situation is or how far you have fallen, but the Lord wants you back because only He can really fill the deep part of your life. Pronouns are deceitful, deadly things. Possessions, positions, people, places. If I only lived in some other place, if I only had this kind of possession, if I only had this position at work, if I only had the right spouse, if I only, if I only, if I only. And can't you see that you're looking to things, pronouns, to try to fill your life? Instead of just going to the Lord and saying, here I am, I, I just need you. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Please, God, fill my life. Help me start over again. Help me hit the reset button and just start over again. Because only, only God can fill us with that deep satisfaction of soul. I remember before I became a believer searching so hard for the answers in life. My mother had died when I was 15 years old and I wanted to try to contact her. So I got into trying to contact the dead and doing occult practices and even following uh, this, one, um, uh, <laughs> this one guy who was supposed to be um, one who got in touch with the spirit world and he was a channeler. And so the, the spirit spoke to him and said, you know, if you really want to be 
um, in touch spiritually, then you need to cleanse your spiritual centers and you have a special diet you're supposed to take. And you're supposed to eat apples, nothing but raw apples for three days. And then at the end of the three days, drink a half a cup of olive oil. And so as uh, an 18-year-old, I thought, that's it. I'll just eat apples. I'll eat apples, raw apples, three days, nothing but apples. And then there comes that time at the end of three days where you've got to drink a half a cup of olive oil. Of course, you know, um, you're not thinking as an 18-year-old about uh, being cleansed. Um, because when you drink a half a cup of olive oil, it doesn't go down easy. It kind of sticks in your throat, kind of like biting into a raw honeycomb. And so I'm working on it like a pigeon, just trying to get this down. And then the real cleansing came. <laughs> you know, you try so hard. I got to find the answer to life. You know, it was, just a, it was just a few months after that that I became a believer through the mercy of God. And then he filled me with real cleansing in my heart, fleshing out all the stuff that just seemed to um, foul up my life. Here is God calling them, saying, Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance and incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. These are action words on our part. Come to me and your soul will live. When I finish my message tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to some things the Lord might be ministering to your heart tonight. And for you, those of you that are online, there is a number to text to let us know what God has been doing in your life. And that number is 720-336-0897. 720-336-0897. Because we want to know how God's ministering to you and we want to know how to pray for you. That's a special prayer line that the church has set up. So that's the call, the first three verses. Let's continue on now to the covenant in verses 3 through 5. The Lord says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The covenant is something that God has initiated. This is the door. This is the gateway to true satisfaction, coming into the covenant with God. Covenant is different than a contract. A covenant is lifelong. God initiates this covenant. It's based on his performance. But you can't have the true satisfaction of soul until you come into that covenant. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring this to you. 
I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David, referring to the promise of, of David having a son who will sit on the throne forever, which goes way past Solomon. And it points to Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God. Jesus died and rose again to secure this covenant for us. Do you realize, those of you who are believers in here, God chased you down because we didn't know where to find him. We were doing silly things. We were doing deadly things. I mean, I, I look back and there was a, two or three times I almost killed myself trying to find out the answer. God sees, God knows, and he pursues us to apprehend us. So if you're a Christian here tonight or online, you're, you're listening and you're a believer, remember, God pursued you and chased you and apprehended you. He gave you the faith by which to believe. And then he goes and, and puts his very spirit into your life to, to be your comforter, to be your encourager, to be your helper. It's fantastic. So why do we wander off? Because we've got these barking dogs that talk to us throughout the day saying, you need this, you need that, you need this. Barking dogs. You know, every morning I walk around my neighborhood, and it's about two and a half, three miles. So I walk on the sidewalk, and um, there are these fences that you can see through from all the houses along the sidewalk. And, and I've learned to name the dogs that bark at me as I walk by. There's especially four of them. One dog is named Fear. Because he has such a, a growl that when he starts barking, you, you get this little tingle because it's so shocking. So I've called him fear because sometimes fear controls your life. But he's behind the fence. But still, it has a reaction. Another dog is, is unbelief. <laughs> I've named him unbelief because sometimes the Lord will give you a promise and you go, I don't see how that could happen. It's like a barking dog. Don't let that affect your life. Keep walking. And then there's another dog I call Pride. And he doesn't let up. He barks, 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 even before I get there, and then he barks, 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 barks as I'm beyond the scene. Pride. And so it's a reminder to me saying, okay, I'm not going to yield to fear in my life. I'm not going to yield to that unbelief, and I'm not going to yield to pride. Lord, they can't hurt me when I look to you. God has created a covenant for us based on his faithfulness, and he wants to give me everything I need to live a satisfied life to pour out to others that life. Jesus is the leader and the commander, as he says in verse 4, a leader and commander for the people. That's Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. So my question here is this. If God has made this covenant 
because he wants to draw you in and give you life and fill your life, have you entered that covenant with him? It's not enough just to know about it. You have to actually take a step and surrender your life to him and trust him more than yourself. If somebody wrote you, some very rich person wrote to you a check for a thousand, well, let's, let's just kick it up for a million dollars. That's a lot of zeros. And the check was valid because of who it was in the bank account. And he writes you this check and he gives it to you and says, I just want to bless you and take care of you for the rest of your life. You take that check and you put it in your pocket and you walk around the street saying, I am the richest man in this whole area. And days and weeks and months go by. You got this check in your pocket because you know you're rich. This can't believe it. This is a valid check. But it's still in your pocket. You haven't cashed the check. You're not rich until you cash the check. In the same way, you can learn all about Christianity from every university class you could ever take, get all that information, understand all the ins and outs, and still not cash the check. Because to cash the check means you surrender your life to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You surrender the control. You take the keys of your life and you turn it over to the Lord and you say, I want to start from zero. Lord, do your work. Take me. All, all, I, all I know is I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. I want you to cleanse my life. That's the, that's the covenant that God has made with us. So we see the call here in the first three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, the covenant, and now the condition in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Here's a continuing exhortation to, to come to the Lord. The Lord is using different ways to try to reason with them because he knows how we can be. We can just kind of like turn it off and go, well, no, I don't think so. But, and so he keeps pressing. And here Isaiah is saying, seek the Lord. These are active words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Which kind of gives the implication there can be watershed moments in your life where the time is right. When those believers spent time trying to minister to me before I was a Christian, I didn't want to hear what they had to say. I would argue with them. I would say, no, get out of my face. It took about six weeks. And they just finally gave up trying to reach this hard-hearted kid. And then one night, 
It's like everything switched. And it was one thing that they said that piped my interest, and all of a sudden I couldn't shake it. And the Lord was, was doing his lasso and just roping me and just pulling me in. And it was a watershed moment in my life. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I believe there are special moments where it's like the Lord is really pressing in to, to bring you to a new, a new change. Look at the definition here of watershed moment. A watershed moment is a turning point. The exact moment that changes the direction of an activity or situation. A watershed moment is a dividing point from which things will never be the same. It is considered momentous, though a watershed moment is often recognized in hindsight. A watershed moment is where everything changes and you don't go back to the way it was. Two years ago, I had a heart attack. That was a watershed moment for me. It changed everything. It was a, it was a, a game changer. We had all these plans. We had all these uh, ideas. We had all these tickets purchased. We, everything was all set up. And then my heart decided, hold the phone, Joan. We're not going anywhere. It was, it was a watershed moment. And God turned the whole picture and brought us back here to the States. When I turned the church over in Phoenix in 2010, that was a watershed moment for me. I'd been pastoring 29 years, and it was, I mean, you know, when you're in, the, when you're in that kind of uh, ministry for so long, you just get everything, you know what to expect. But then it came time where the Lord said, it's time for some changes. A watershed moment. Those are important times. Maybe tonight is a watershed moment for you. Because God is speaking to your heart that you have been drinking polluted water. You have been going after things that haven't been satisfying. You have been expecting your spouse to satisfy your life when only the Lord can do it. All the things that you have been purchasing, all the toys, everything that you've been looking at in all the magazines and all online, you're trying to fill your life and God is, is the one that can fill that part. Listen to what he says here in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Notice that repentance is required. Turning. It's not just God get me out of this, but you need to turn from the way that God considers wicked. Not what society considers wicked because society now is calling good evil and evil good. But here is the Lord saying, let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. I want you to take note, verse 7. His way, his thoughts. 
because the Lord is going to answer that in the next verses. He says here in verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you're so sure that the ways of God are not worth it, have you ever tested and tried it to know for sure? Could it be that there's a deeper argument going on that you don't want to let go of control of your life? People have ripped you off so much. People have hurt you so much. You're not going to make yourself vulnerable anymore. As a matter of fact, you're using what they have done to you to be kind of part of your identity now. I think we've used this illustration before of somebody who comes and, you know, your friend, the one that you trusted in, the one that you spent time with, the one who knows you better than anybody else, they went and stabbed you in the back. They went and slandered your character. They went and, and absolutely just ruined the opportunity that was in front of you. They stabbed you in the back. It was so wrong. It was unjust. And so now you're going around and telling people, look what they did to me. Look at the knife in my back. Look at how wrong that is. Look at this knife. And the Lord is saying, hey, I want to heal your life. Take out the knife and I'll heal the wound. No, you don't understand, Lord. I need that knife in there because I have to convince people how wrong it was what they did to me. But he says, I can't heal the wound until you take the knife out. Well, yeah, but the knife is important. And we're arguing with the Lord, and he's trying to heal, and we're kind of stuck in kind of our cause. Because to take the knife out means it can't be in my identity anymore. The bad things they did to me can't be my identity anymore. God wants to heal our life, but we have to give to him those attacks. We have to turn from our way and turn to him and let go. Isaiah 66, 2 says, But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. My identity has to be now who he is and his healing touch in my life, him rescuing me. This evening we've seen the call go out. We've seen the covenant explained. We've seen the condition that he says, come to me. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. And now we see the compassion of the Lord. I'm just going to read through the rest of the chapter, and we'll, we'll close this up. Again, verse 8, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then here's what he says. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There are times when God allows a trial to come upon our life, not to crush us, but to prove us. When they went and designed the Golden Gate Bridge, there were many that said, that thing won't hold up any weight. Look at how it's made. So they had to do a scale model of this uh, special kind of bridge, and they had to put weight on it to prove it. Not to destroy it, but to prove that the physics are right. There are times that God allows trial to come upon our life. Sometimes it's a relationship, sometimes it's sickness, sometimes it's life circumstance, and it's a trial and you can't get out of it. And like our, our pastor, Pastor Ed, has told us many times, don't waste the trial. <laughs> you know, find out what God wants you to learn through it and get through it. But God's allowance of trials in our life are not to destroy us. They're to prove the work he's already done in us. When God sends forth his word, it's based on his purpose, not my expectation. And it will accomplish whatever his particular purpose is. When he closes a door that we think should be open, it's a good thing that the door closed. When he opens a door that no man can shut, it accomplishes what he wants to do at that time. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Some of you have been praying for your kids for a long time because they're wayward. They're living a destructive life and there's nothing you can do about it. Your prayers are not in vain. God is hearing those prayers while he's working on the setup to reach your children, even though they're adult children. He's also working on your heart to, to help you not end up with a hard heart toward your kids. You know, there are times when, you know, your kids make you so mad, you just want to kill them and then raise them from the dead just to prove, just to show them something, you know, just to wake them up. But listen, God is doing a work in you while you're praying for your kids. And if you never see a result in your lifetime, I'm telling you that it could come 
at your funeral. Maybe it takes the funeral to change the heart and to pull together all those prayers that you've been praying over your lost child. I've watched it time and again in doing so many funerals in my ministry. Don't give up. There's, there's total hope because the Lord's the one that's in charge. But he's doing a work in your life while he's doing a work out there and tying things together. And then finally, looking at verses 12 and 13, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Of course, ultimately, this is talking about the time when the Lord Jesus returns to this earth and sets everything back in order the way it was first created when the curse is removed from the earth. But listen, right now, Jesus has taken our curse on himself. Jesus wants to put into our life joy. He wants to put into our life peace. It comes with the covenant. And it's like, you know, when the Lord has, has blessed us with his presence, it's like you look at the world in a whole different view. It's not the trees are clapping their hands, you know. This is not some hallucinogenic scene here. This is just, you know, the fact that there's freedom and there's joy and the whole creation is enjoying the lifting of the curse in the future. But how God can change your perspective of the world around you, your worldview, when your soul becomes filled with him and there's a true satisfaction that's happening. The Lord wants us to allow him to show himself. We can fight with it. We can say, no, it's got to be on my terms. Or we can take the keys of our life, put them here and go, all right, your way, not my way. I want your will be done, not mine. I want you to satisfy me to the depth of my soul instead of me trying to go to everything else to try to find the answer. And I just want to tell you, God will meet you if you take that step. So tonight as we close this talk, we'll have the, the, uh, Jason come on up here and close us with the last song. But I want us to stand up right now, if you would please. There may be things that we have touched upon that have brought to mind issues that you're dealing with right now. And I'd like to ask you to consider taking a step of faith to act upon that prompting. As Jason leads us in the last song, I'd like you to make your way up here to be prayed for. Because here's the reality of if, you know, th there's a, a watershed moment where God wants to take what he's doing in your life and, and bring it to fruition. 
but it takes moving from where you are and coming to him and saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do, do it. Do it right here. And those of you that are home, that are at home and you're watching this, and those of you that are listening on Grace FM, even if you're driving, you know, take a time, pull over, and, and let the Lord do some business with you for a bit. You won't be that late. Don't do it while you're driving. Keep your eyes open, please. But let's use this opportunity and let's see what the Lord is going to do with crisis going on all around us. Let's let the crisis stop inside. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.